series uh, on the family to present a lesson that I hope to be encouraging. And, and that is particularly to be encouraging to a group of people that need encouragement, especially. Uh, they're called by different names. Sometimes they're called housewives, and sometimes they might be called stay-at-home moms. I, I, I like the term homemaker. I think that's a good term. Some of our modern speech translations use that. And I, I think that that group needs encouragement. Uh, I think that there's a great deal of... Uh, uh, discouragement that comes their way. Um, you know, it doesn't take uh, much searching to find um, articles like this one. Disconnecting to spend time with your kids could sabotage your career. How about that? Uh, there was a, an article in Fortune magazine. You might be surprised to learn that I'm not a subscriber to Fortune magazine, but someone showed me this. It's a magazine of some weight uh, among some circles. And they had an article similar entitled, Is Your Family Wrecking Your Career? Think about that a minute. Is Your Family Wrecking Your Career? And uh, somebody wrote in to the editor about that particular article and about another article. Anyway, the, the person wrote in uh, and they said, oh, I especially appreciate uh, Joseph Nocera's, quote, oh, quit whining and get back to work, end quote. He articulately points out that loathsome moral superiority that has become the trademark of today's parents, and he dares to define parenting by its true name, quote, self-indulgence masquerading as virtue. Like Nocera, I enjoy working, and I have no wish to play the part of the ultimate male status symbol, the wife who doesn't work. Uh, I saw in uh, an advice column, uh, there's a woman named Marilyn Voss uh, Savant that used to have place in the paper since they quit having papers. I don't know where she's at now. But I cut out just a few years ago an article. Somebody had asked her this question. My husband and I are thinking about homeschooling. Do you recommend it? And her answer included the following. She said, if homeschooling were institutionalized, half of the youthful potential of Americans would go unfulfilled. Say that a bright young parent sacrifices a rewarding career to stay home and teach the children. When those children grow up, would half of them, one parent from each married couple, also sacrifice their potential to stay home and teach their own children? If so, much of the result of homeschooling would be the creation of more homeschooling parents for the next generation and so on. Maybe homeschoolers can justify this loss. Is she serious? Oh, yeah, she's serious. People that talk about children like they're an infestation of fleas. Here's a, a, this was an article shared with me by a teacher in Alabama. It's an article from a Wall Street Journal um, uh, paper that, uh, by Jeff Zaslow that was included in the retirement paper that uh, is uh, sent out to the Alabama's teacher union members 
And the article is entitled, The Baby or Middle School? And the article, uh, to spare you a lot of the details, is just the idea that a lot of people think that you ought to uh, stay home when the kids are little and then the women go to work when they get older. But uh, the point this article makes is that may not be a great idea to stay home with them when they're younger. You waste a lot of potential. About 80% of mothers with young teens are in the workforce, part or full-time, with a percentage little change since 1994. Traditionally, many women choose not to work when their kids are infants. Okay, I, and I, this is a pet peeve of mine, and, and, and I may say something else about this before we're through. Uh, people who say, let me read that again. Many women choose not to work when their kids are infants. Have you ever heard anything so stupid? If the mamas weren't working when the kids were infants, they'd be dead. You, you obviously never met the mother of an infant. Let me try to read this again. Traditionally, many women choose not to work when their kids are in. I know what she means, or he means. But I also know the demeaning nature of that kind of language. And you do too. But, he goes on to say, many children may not need their parents' presence much then. Quote, uh, you can find a nurturing person to help your child play with blocks and keep them safe. I mean, you know, anybody can stay home with them and keep them out of the street and play blocks with them. That's nothing to that. That's motherhood in the 21st century America. That's our value of it, our view of it. And yet, and yet they know what a lie that is. Here's, a, here's another article. I won't uh, inundate you with this. But um, the article is entitled, Can We Solve Our Child Care Crisis? What crisis? All you got to do is keep them out of the street and play with blocks. What's nothing to that, right? There's an agenda here. There's an agenda here. You turn on the radio and you hear some outfit with this kind of commercial. If you're the, the parent of a daughter, don't get them a, a tea set. Get them a chemistry set. Why? What's the point of that, do you suppose? What's the end of all of that? Take your daughter to work day. Okay. What, what is it really all about? <laughs> the idea of a traditional family where you have the father who makes the living and the mother there with the children making the home. and That was the, the, the model for I don't know how many years in our society. All we knew... 80% of, of homes were like that 70 years ago. And now it's just almost flipped over. And it affects the brethren. <laughs> I, I was talking about this subject one time at a place, and a lady came out and handed me a note. And I always think, well, I wonder what this is. Um, you know, sometimes people take this sermon. Let me just pause to make this point quickly. They take this sermon as somehow anti-women. I don't know how they get that idea. I could not be more for women. Uh, some of you guys know me a little bit. You know my, my circumstance. I've got my wife, and we have three daughters. 
And uh, my mother lived with us when she was living for a number of years. At one point, my sister, after she had a wreck, lived with us for several years. We had two dogs in the back. They were female. I had, I had the, I used to say, I swim in the estrogen ocean. I live every day in this circumstance. And I, 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 I love and respect women. So this is nothing to put down or, or harm anybody. Um, but I hate the message that is bombarding our daughters. I hate it. And I believe it's anti-biblical. Uh, anyway, the lady came out. She handed me a note. And the note said, appreciate the lesson. She said, I heard just this week that a local preacher of the gospel asked a young mother where she worked. And when she replied at home, he, the preacher, said, what are you, independently wealthy? And she said, no, just content. She had the better answer. Well, it's not a surprise to us that as men have moved further and further away from God, that practice has changed. But I want you to understand, and let's always be clear about this, it is a movement away from what God has taught us about the role of the homemaker. The unchanging truth, let me read a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse well, verse 8 and 9 beginning. First um, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. In like manner. In the context, you remember, he had just been talking about men praying, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men ought to behave in a way that's holy. And likewise, women are called on to be holy to adorn themselves in modest apparel with a sense of shame, having a sense of shame and having a sense of sobriety. We were talking about fathers last night. I don't know that I included this point, but I'll include it now. You know, the world, I, I really see 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 in this passage. We might subhead it to be, where is a woman's glory to be found? And the first point that I believe Paul makes is, it is not found in the type of dress that is intended to catch every eye, whether that be because it's so showy or whether it be because it's so scanty. We were talking about fathers last night, and I'll say this to us as fathers. It is one of the jobs that we have. You know, mom is certainly going to do her part, but it's one of the jobs that we have. When you see your young daughter coming through the house, heading for the front door to go out, and she's not dressed as she ought to be, that's my job to say, you need to go back in there and change. That's not going to do. That's my job. And brethren, to this day, I've I found this to be true. I've been preaching for a while. And when you preach on modesty, everybody says, amen. When you start defining what is immodest, whether it be, again, materialistic or scanty, uh, that's when things get troublesome. But you know, one thing I found to be true, and you may have noticed this too, if you've ever gone to visit people in, in the prisons, go to visit them in some jail somewhere. Uh, on almost every jail I've visited, they have at the front a list of things they say you cannot wear in here. 
And you know what it'll be? It'll include things like you can't wear uh, some halter top. You can't wear some uh, miniskirt. You can't wear skin-tight clothes. They're not preachers. They just know what that looks like, and they don't want trouble in their jail. And then here I am, and I'm trying to defend those things, and I'm, yeah, I'm kidding myself. So I'm saying, Paul would say to us, you know, if you're trying to dress to impress the world in its lust or in its materialism, that's not where glory is to be found. Although a lot of people, hey, read the best dressed women list. You think of those ways? I didn't know they were dressed. I thought they were undressed. But that's not where her glory is to be found. And he goes on to say in verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, I'm sorry, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. I think a second thing that's very relevant to our day, women who say we want the role of men, we want a Lord over men, we've got to be the head, we've got to be uh, in this position and in charge. And I suppose then as well as now, there were people who thought, now that's where glory is to be found. Paul would say that's, that's shameful. That won't do. She doesn't need to outdo a man to be glorious. She has her own glory, a glory that God gave to her. And then he concludes in verse 15, Nevertheless, or notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And of course, as a student, as we look at that passage, <clears throat> she shall be saved in childbearing. We understand immediately he's not saying there that childbearing, the act of bearing a child, is a substitute for obeying the gospel. Well, obviously not. And he's not saying that uh, if you don't have a child, you can't be saved. They're great women, great servants of God, women that will never have a child, never be married. But I think we understand what he's saying there. He's saying if you're looking for her glory, it's not in elbowing a man out of his position. And it's not by having every eye look upon you by the way you dress. But the glory of motherhood is a unique glory that really has no peer. And it's under desperate attack today. But people who have a, a, a view of the scriptures understand that there's nothing that can tarnish it. If it's done right, it is the greatest thing that can be done. It is the most important job, I think, in the world. Uh, there's another passage that we have in mind here. And uh, that comes from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Flip over a page or two. In the context here of a woman, a widow, being taken into the number, Paul says there are some women, I suppose that's for support, it seems as it is for some regular support. There are some women that are not worthy. They're not in that number. They ought not to be placed in that number. Those that are must be of a certain character. And in verse 10, he gives part of that list. He says, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. Here is a woman who in her conduct has been diligent to follow every good work, devoted to good works. 
a woman who does not think helping others below her status, a woman devoted to other people. And uh, that includes bringing up children. It is uh, a glorious thing for a woman to work in the sphere of her home and to be a blessing not only to her family but to other families as well. I think about a passage in verse 14 of this same context that likewise bears on our subject. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, admittedly, I think the context here would be of the widows, the young widows. But I also believe, based on the other things we've read, that this would be a glory for any woman. That young women, as the King James says, marry and bear children. Let me say a word about that, if I might. Um, every once in a while, I'll meet a young couple, and they will say, uh, we don't really, we don't really plan to have children. Uh, the timing of that kind of thing has to be personal. I understand that. But I would just say to anybody who may hear this, any young couple who thinks, well, we don't want to, we wouldn't want to have children. Ask yourself this question. Do you just think the world has too many good people? You don't want to bring any more into the world? And there are plenty of children that are born. But for two godly people to set up a family and, uh, and to include children that they will bring up to know God and be a blessing to others, be salt in this world, well, it seems to me like that's just as fine a thing as we could do. What are we giving that away for? Just think about that. But the, but the point we want to make in our lesson tonight is from verse, the next phrase there in verse 14. Marry, bear children, guide the house. To guide the house. To be uh, a house mistress, as one translation put it. To be the master of a house, to rule over a house, to manage household affairs. Notice that's the work that's mentioned for her, and it's a worthy work. One more verse along this line. Uh, we go now to the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 2. And in verse 5, particularly, but in Titus chapter 2, the aged women be in behaviors, becometh holiness, not false accusers, given to much wine, teachers of good things. They may teach the young women, verse 4, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste and keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. That idea of being a keeper at home, to guard the home, to work at the home, to be a home worker. Workers at home, I think, is the way the ASV puts it. And that's what I would advocate. That's what I would plead with you to think about here. We have young women here. We have young women, some that may not be married, that are looking one day to marry. I, I, by the way, I encourage that. You know, when my daughters were coming along, and uh, Vernon knew my family when they were pretty small, um, the, uh, I used to joke about how that, yeah, when my daughters get to be 35 or 40, they can want to think about dating, and uh, then I'll try to see what. But, you know, I was just joking about that. 
I really never did want to hinder them from finding the right fellow and marrying. I've told them this before. I prayed before they were born. Our prayer was, Lord, help us to raise children that will be Christians and marry Christians. That was our prayer from before they were born. And we were very blessed that they obeyed the gospel and married Christians. And I'm thankful for that. By the way, I'm not saying that's because I'm great. I'm, I'm a flawed father who's made way too many mistakes. But I, 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 just, I just add this little thing. And then after they were married, several years went by, no grandchildren. And I told my wife, dummy me, I forgot to ask for grandkids. I prayed for the, yeah. But we got them anyway. God is gracious. But we want our children to obey the gospel. And I'll say a word about this in just a minute. I want you as young women to, to not buy in too much to this attitude or this idea that, um, uh, well, you know, we can put that off till later and don't worry about that now. I think there's a, there's a, a, a value. If you find someone that you love to start your home and to start that life, I think it's a glorious thing. Now, some don't find it till later, and some great young women have to wait till some guy gets, uh, gets his eyesight back, you know, before they can uh, see you and appreciate what you are and how great you are. But anyway, be that as it may, to be a homemaker, to be a keeper at home is a glorious ambition. And yet, it's not something valued in the world. You know, we talk about the work of being a homemaker. Uh, what you find from so many who uh, look at this and, and despise it, they say, you're a homemaker? What do you do? And the lady says, well, I'm a homemaker. Oh, you don't work? That's the next thing they get. Well, I work. I work at home. Well, what do you do all day? Um... I'm not trying to be flippant, but I remember reading this and made a point with me at least. There was a, a, an article somebody put out about one afternoon a man came home from work to find total mayhem in his house. His three children were outside still in their pajamas, playing in the mud with empty food boxes and wrappers strewn all about the house, the front yard. The door of his wife's car was open as was the front door to the house. Proceeding to the entry, found a bigger mess. Lamp had been knocked over, throw rug wadded against one wall, front room where the TV was loudly blaring the cartoon channel. In the family room, toys strewn, various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink, breakfast food spilled on the counter, dog food spilled on the floor, broken glass lay under the table, small pile of sand by the back door. Quickly heading up the stairs, stepping over toys and piles of clothes, looking for his wife, worried she might be ill, something had happened. And he found her lounging in the bedroom, still curled in the bed in her pajamas, reading a novel. And she looked at him and smiled and asked how his day went. And he looked at her bewildered and he asked, what happened here today? And she smiled again. And she answered, you know, every day when you come home from work and ask me what in the world I did today, he said, yes. He said, well, today I didn't do it. 
and we understand exactly what that means. You know, there's a lot involved in the work of a homemaker. Now, I'm not going to give you a complete list, but there is some housework involved in it. That's all people think about. They think, yeah, mopping floors and cleaning, that's no good. You know, my wife had to be bedfast when our second child was coming along before she was born for several months. And I tell people, that's a long time ago. Uh, I might need that again. But uh, that uh, I think I lost 30 pounds during that uh, six months. Uh, not just because I couldn't cook. That's, that's also true. But just because there was always something going on. I'm trying to work and I'm trying to take care. Of, and, and, you know, I, we had a one-year-old and one on the way. And uh, I'd uh, have Laurie up with me, and, and we, I'd be washing dishes in the evenings. How in the world do we make so many dishes? It's just me and Donna. She's in the bed. Laurie's one. Where are these coming from? Well, somebody would bring over some food, mercy to us, and I'd be trying to clean up those anyway. Always dishes to wash, even with that few people in the house. Always clothes. Always clothes to wash. I learned what a washing machine was. I learned how to use one. Uh... I, don't, I didn't dust. I don't think I dusted for the entirety of the time involved here. It was, it was a year. I didn't dust. But I would vacuum the floor and all that kind of thing. Just stuff that, you know, it has to be done. And some people look at that and they think that's menial work. But the good women in here who have done that work for years know better. They know this is something I'm doing for my family. There's nothing menial about that. By the way, I don't think mom's the only one can work, use a vacuum cleaner either, but that's a, we'll get to that in a minute. But let me just say, there's a lot of work that she winds up doing that is important because of its context. And then, you know, it's not just keeping the house, it's child rearing. And I'm going to bathe this child, and I'm going to clothe this child, I'm going to feed this child. That's a rookie mistake, and you know it. Because if you bathe them before you feed them, you're going to be bathing them again. You know that. I found that out in a hurry. Green beans everywhere. And you take them here, take them, take them to the grocery store. Got to go, got to go to the, take them to, to the services. I wish that the young mothers that I've met through the years, who maybe the dad had to be, maybe he was sick, whatever it might be, or maybe he wasn't even involved in the spiritual things in life. And here she is taking three children used to have a lady in West Virginia. She's about that tall. And I thought she was as strong as Arnold Schwarzenegger. She could go into the grocery store with two, on, one on each hip and then one at her leg and still picking out groceries. And I thought, wow. But you know, with children, you know, and I know, it's not just the stuff to keep them clean and keep them alive and keep them clothed. You know, you, you sing to that child. And you teach them to pray. And you hug them. You know, I, I couldn't help but think when I was reading that article earlier about, oh, you can get anybody to play blocks with your kids. I tell you what you do. You ask that three-year-old that goes out and skins his knee and ain't got no mama at home, you ask him if he can tell a difference, if it makes any difference. The work that she'll do with that child from day to day to day. By the way, how much is that worth? I don't know what the minimum wage anymore is. Uh, it's probably north of five fifty. That might be worth five fifty an hour. What do you think? That might be worth five fifty. And it's not just the child, by the way. 
I don't know how to put this, but there's some husband tending that needs to be done as well. Because uh, he'll come in one day and he'll just be as flat as an empty balloon, you know, and she'll pump him up and he may come in another day and he may be full of himself and she'll take a needle and let a little air out. But she'll do it in a way that, you know, shows, you know, she loves him. She knows her man and she, how much is that worth? That might be worth five seventy-five an hour. But she's a blessing to him. And she's the one he needs. That passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, it took me a while reading this before it finally dawned on me. That's the passage you remember, 1 Peter 3 and verse 1 reads, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. If any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. You know, that verse is an encouragement. If a woman finds herself married to a man that's not a Christian, you know, there is hope. There's not a guarantee, but there is hope. And the best hope that she has is just let Christ live in her every day, every day, regardless, every day. Because even if he's not interested in hearing the Lord, he will see your example. He may not let on, but you just don't know if, if, if anybody can win him, you can. Now, now, when you think about that, that says a lot about the power of a wife's influence on her, on her husband. And I believe that's true. Now, there may be some situations, some exceptions where things are so broken, it's just some men are so hard-hearted. But I believe this to be a general truth, that when it comes to this world, nobody's opinion means more to your husband's than yours does. And I believe you have a great influence and can be a great blessing and are a great blessing to him. Then I think about the good works that she does for others, not just her family. But um, she's um, uh, going to the nursing home when we used to be able to go to the nursing home to see somebody. Uh, maybe even somebody she's not related to, just somebody she's met that needs a, a visit. Um, when all the, 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 school, the kid, school kids come into the neighborhood, you know, after school, they wind up coming to her house. She's the only mom home. And she'll feed them a, a peanut butter sandwich and, and she'll say a prayer. And it may be the only prayer that those kids hear. But how much is that worth, by the way? That might be worth $6 an hour. You know, a lot of people have traded this stuff off for less than that or about that much. You know, what a blessing she is. It's, and it's not, by the way, I'll make this plain. It's not that the things that we can imagine that go with this point, going to the hospitals and, and, and with a, a smile, cheerful word, lifting somebody's spirit that might really have needed to hear something good. It's not that this woman over here is not willing or not able to do that. It's just that she's already committed 40 hours or 50 hours somewhere else. And there are just so many hours in a day, you can't be in two places at one time. But this is what she does for other people as well as for her own family. Uh, and then I think about kingdom work as if this wasn't all kingdom work. I think it is in one sense. But I'm talking here about the classes that she'll teach. 
And I'm talking here about the unity that she'll promote. You know, in Philippians chapter 4, we have this picture. Paul writes to a church, a good church, a church that he loved. And he said to him, I beseech you, Euodius and Syntyche, I beseech that they might be of the same mind in the Lord. I've heard my wife make this point before, and I believe she's right. If the women in a congregation can get along, the church can get along. I'm not putting every division on women. I don't mean it that way. But I mean, generally speaking, that's true. If you have a group of women that are close, that are tight, they're going to be very different people. They may hold different views. They might have different. But if they love each other and work as a family, that's going to make things go well. <laughs> it's going to be a great blessing. I think Paul was implying that even in this passage. And she'll be there to promote that, to spend time with her brethren and to make time to be a help to others. And we could go on. But I'm going to tell you, this is full-time work. There's plenty to do in this passage. Uh, let me ask this question. What's necessary to be a homemaker? Well, I think there are several things in that. Let me mention one that's axiomatic. Being home, I think, is important. Now, I don't mean by that that she's got a, one of those uh, security monitors on her leg like prisoners are at home. She can't leave the premises, and that's obviously I don't mean that. I've got an article somewhere in my junk here that I picked up years ago where a guy, and he wouldn't like what I was saying tonight, and uh, some preacher, he wrote an article about how the Bible says it doesn't say, I'm going to say it this way, it says, keep her at home, not keep her at home. <laughs> That's clever. But I really don't think that that's thoughtful enough. Because I just think it's hard to do some of these things if that's not the center of, of our work and our workplace. Uh, you know, in, in Nehemiah chapter 13, this is not a passage on... Um, the home by any means it's a passage uh, that uh, concerns Nehemiah coming back and straightening out some problems uh, in the land of the return and one of the problems that he straightened out was that the Levites were not being supported as they ought to be and the temple was being misused at least the storehouses and then in Nehemiah 13, let me see where it is here. Nehemiah 13, yes, in uh, verse 10. I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. You remember, the, you know the story there. You know the Levites. They were one of the tribes of Israel. And God chose that tribe to be his tribe in a special way. He said, I want you to work in my tabernacle, later my temple. From one family of the Levites, the, the priest would come. But he said, for the rest of you, I want you to work in course in my house. And I want the other tribes to offer a tithe to support the Levites so they can be devoted to my work. And I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, well, the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. And I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together 
and set them in their place. And the point that I would make is this. It's not that being out in the field and working is bad. It's not dishonorable work. It's just not their work. And while they were out doing that work, the house of God was forsaken. When God gives us a work, we don't need to be doing another work and doing this piecemeal. This is the work, and it's a worthy work. And so I would just offer that for your consideration. Something else it takes to be a homemaker, it takes a work ethic. I mean, it, it does. Uh, it's, it's a work, that's for sure, as we've talked about before. Um, now, but let me offer this point. Some may not be working as they ought to be. There are women who may have the privilege of working at home, and they, but they don't really take that as they ought to with responsibility. Uh, they might spend too much time misusing the telephone or the Internet or whatever it might be. I've had women or heard women tell me, they said, well, I tried staying at home. I was just bored. And I think, wow, I wish you hadn't told me that. I'd have thought more of you if you hadn't told me that. You know, you know, I think about that about like I think about a preacher. You know how blessed I am to do the work I do? Brethren, think enough of you. Maybe it's a lapse in judgment. They think enough of you to say, I tell you what to do. We'll give you enough money to pay your bills, and you just devote yourself to the work of teaching and sharing the gospel. And suppose I got up here and said, you know, I tell you the truth, I'm just bored. I don't know what to do. I said, you got to be kidding me. You, you will never, you will never get through reading all you need to read. You'll never get through talking to all the people you need to talk to. Hey, boy, you, you, you might quit, but you ain't never finished, ever. And it's just about that way with this good woman. There's just always something to do. Some way she can be a force for good. But, you know, nobody's maybe standing over you every minute. I've got to be a self-starter, and I've got to have vision and I've got to have a sense of, of honor about the matter and say, if I've got this open door, I need to take it and I need to make the most of it. I think that, that there are certain skills that are involved, and that's a small word for a big subject, but I'll, I'll just mention briefly a few. The technical skills are obvious, you know. It just, you know, you have to learn, and there's a learning process. I tell people, my wife is an excellent cook. Uh, when we got married, you know, it was, uh, it was a limited repertoire. Uh, she could uh, cook uh, uh, chicken really good, and she could cook spaghetti. And so we'd have chicken, and then we'd have leftover chicken, then we'd have spaghetti, and then we'd have chicken. And then somebody, I don't know why, but they gave her a recipe. It was for chicken spaghetti. I, I can't make that. I'm serious. And that's why I'm so skinny today is because of that. Uh, my wife has been a blessing. But, you know, the technical skills are there. And I won't let, I'll let her tell about how many loads of wash I messed up because I didn't know you weren't supposed to throw a red terry cloth robe in with the white shirts. It does take skill to do the basic things. But, but there are other skills involved, I think, that are greater than that. A skill to be a lady. Lady is a misused word in our society, isn't it? I'm not talking about just a female. I'm talking about a lady. You tell a lady. You tell by the way she talks, by the way she sits. You can tell by what she does and what she doesn't do. She 
has self-respect and she commands respect, not in an aggressive, loud voice, but just by being what she is. I think about her restrained spirit. You know, through the years, I have known some great women. I'm talking about great Christian women. And I have on a few occasions seen men who were so boorish and so caddish that they would try to engage that woman in some sort of a shouting match or an argument about some Bible matter. She ain't going to argue with you. She's not going to yell back at you. And she knows better than that. She's been trained better than that. Now, let me tell you this. She knows what she believes. And she could probably help you with the point if you'd let her and do it in the right way. But she is a Christian lady. And in every way, we find, you know, that showing itself. She's a good Bible student. Um, I, I meant to mention this the other night. I'll mention it again. I was looking through your library back here, and I found this book. This is, uh, I hope this might be familiar to some of you. This is Mrs. Lee's Stories About Jesus. She wrote a couple of these books, Miss Lee did. I knew Miss Lee a little bit. I didn't know her all that well, but I knew her story a little bit. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Um, uh, Irvin Lee was her husband, and they did a lot of good through the years together. I remember Brother Lee telling this story about his wife. He said, my wife does not remember when she learned the stories of Moses and of Paul and of Daniel. She learned them so long ago, she can't remember the first time she heard those stories. And she became a great Bible student and a great blessing to many people. But he said, I'll tell you something else. This is his point. He said, my wife, when she was two and a half years old, she grew up in rural western Kentucky in the early part of the 20th century. When she was two and a half years old, her father died. And two months later, her youngest sibling, her sister, was born. And, and that made seven. And Mrs. Stubblefield, with seven children going to newborn, now had to raise that family in a time when there was no Social Security, no big insurance check. And she had some advantages that some don't have. She had a little piece of property. And the money crop was strawberries. So she... Uh, raised strawberries to sell and the older children could help some with that and she could grow enough other things that they could eat and she could make enough money to be able to buy what they couldn't grow but he used to ask the brother he used to ask the question how in the world could a mother of seven with that on her shoulders find the time to teach her children those stories well she found out she could host strawberries and tell Bible stories. And she could wash dishes and tell Bible stories. And she raised a daughter that loved the Word of God and knew the Word of God from the start. I just make that point to say, you know, if, if, if in the church, you know, we say sometimes, or somebody might say, some critic might say, well, women can't be preachers and they can't be elders and they just don't have anything to do. You've got to be kidding me. Where do you think those preachers and elders are coming from? They're coming from mama's knee. You can't believe how important it is that we have good Bible students among the women in this congregation, and I trust you do. God bless you. 
But she's devoted herself to that skill. And that's a part of her work as a homemaker. I tell you, she has a perspective. Uh, and what I mean by that more is the idea that she is devoted to her family. But let me say this. What she's devoted to more is God. And while she's parochial, she loves her family, God is never second. Now, that's not easy, but that's her, that's her commitment. And I'd say this too, that she has love. That's really the overriding thought here. I was joking a while ago about, you know, it might be worth $8 an hour or whatever. You can't, you can't pay folks to do what, what these women do. Our, our oldest daughter has a, a, a boy that's three and a boy that's one. And I've been watching her for the last three years, and it's brought back to me, you know, about all of the time and devotion it takes to be a mother of the young children. And, uh, and all the, 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 the sleep you miss and all the spit up you have to wear and all the things that you go through. And you do that because you love. You can't pay somebody for that. Not for long. You pay for a little while, they go home. But mama's there. And I'd offer this thought too, just in passing. Don't wait too long to tell your mama thank you for that. But she didn't do it to hear thank you. She did it because she loves you. Let me, in conclusion, offer one more set of points. And it's this. That if being a homemaker is so grand, why don't more people do it? <laughs> why is it going out of style? Even among brethren. Well, I think part of it goes back to that propaganda that the world offers, and there's plenty of it around. Uh, when you see the list of the, in, in the local paper that where I am, they had women that make a difference. And it was all kind of folks that I don't think really are going to make much of a difference, not in the long term, not eternally. I tell you, mamas make a difference. Godly mamas make a difference. Godly women, godly homemakers make a difference. But you find so much slander in the world in which we live, and it has its effects. I, I, I don't know. I hesitated to even offer this illustration, but I will anyway. This is um, the cover of Bloomsburg Business Week. Again, I'm sure we don't have a lot of subscribers to that here, but at least I'm not. But um, several years ago, uh, this woman appeared telling her story. And uh, you can see the proud look on her face as the photographer catches it. Freeze your eggs. Free your career. Uh, a new fertility process. Women, more choices in the quest to have it all. You may think this is not an appropriate subject, and I, and I, I almost agree with you, and, except it's just all around us. And I certainly would not pick on this woman uh, I, again, I, I was, but, but she's the one who put her story out there. And I use this illustration to make a point that I think might be worthwhile. Here's a woman saying, in effect, I bought into the idea that you can put off having children until later. We've got uh, reproductive uh, 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 technology now where uh, you can, uh, you can uh, just wait on that, wait on that. Do what's important now. That can, you can do that later. Well, that's what this woman did. 
And she's the poster face for this movement here. And then came along this article. And the article uh, is about 15 years later. And it's, it, it's headlined, Cruel Twist of Fate for Single Women Who Froze Her Eggs in Her 30s to Free Her Career. Last year, with her 45th birthday looming and no sign of Mr. Wright, uh, this woman excitedly unfroze 11 eggs and selected a donor and went about that way. What a way to enter motherhood. Well, the, the point of the story is, despite $19,000 that she spent for this procedure, none of them turned out. Two failed to survive the thawing process. Three more failed to fertilize. That left six embryos. Five appeared to be abnormal. The last one was implanted in the uterus, and then it too failed. Adams was not pregnant. Her chances of carrying a genetic child had dropped to nearly zero, and she remembers screaming, quote, like a wild animal, throwing books, papers, her laptop, and collapsing to the ground. I don't glory in that. I, I, th I, I hate that. I hate that whole thing. What I really hate is that this smart woman bought into the propaganda and too late realized that she had traded something really valuable. I don't know what she would have done with motherhood. That's between her and the Lord. But she traded something really valuable for something really transient. I don't want that to happen to anybody else. I don't want it to happen to you. But I know that it can. I know that it often does. And I think it's a, it's a despicable thing. But I think that the propaganda of this world, the message that, you know, if, if you just want to stay home and raise children, you're stupid and lazy and, and don't have any ambition, and that really you ought to spend these years doing something important, and then you can always do that later. Well, you might not. Um. I have other things I want to say, but I think I'll, I'll save that for now. I, I think, again, some women who take that route are made to feel like they're wasting their lives. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Or here's my favorite, you know, my favorite expression here, the time management tips for the stay-at-home moms that, don't, that work as if they're any other kind. Don't buy into the propaganda. When our kids were coming along, I used to preach this sermon to them. Uh, that everybody's preaching something. Everybody's preaching something. Uh, the preacher's preaching something. But so's the guy on the news. He's preaching something. Uh, we didn't just find that out. That's been going on a long time. And the guy that writes the novel, he's preaching something. And the guy that writes the movie, he's preaching something. Everybody's preaching a message. Be sophisticated enough, let us all, to understand what message is being preached. And the messages here are tragic. And they're coming from every side, it seems, except God's word. Um, this is a quote, I think, from C.S. Lewis, but a lot of people have said this, something like it. The homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that is to support the ultimate career. You know, that is true. Here's a fellow, and he's been going to the, to the, to the factory for years, and he got his gold watch and he's retired and he comes back home. He likes to talk about the old days. And that's great. 
and he's done right, and he's done well, and he's supported his house, and hopefully he's been a good husband, a good father, but he's been making the money and bringing it home for the home she's been watching over. Who had the more important job? It was all about the home. If it weren't for that, you wouldn't need a job. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. That's not the message anymore you hear, but it's always been true, and it always will be. I'll tell you, why is it that people give away something so precious then? I think it just goes back to, in many cases, just loving a dollar. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said these words years ago to all of us. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We can carry nothing out. <laughs> That's true. Everything we have, we're just borrowing it for a minute. The house that you buy, the car that you buy, if, if it outlives you, somebody else will have it. They won't even know your name. They're just things. And we all of us hold these things for a minute. Paul said, that's why I just have food and contentment to be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare to many foolish and hurtful lusts. So many foolish and hurtful things have come to me because I'm trying to get and sacrificing to get what doesn't matter, what doesn't last. Let me read the passage. They that will be rich fall into temptation, a snare to many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so it is. And let me, let me bring this point in here, if I might, as we're bringing this thing to a close. I'll tell you, in a lot of cases, it ain't the woman it's not the lady in this story that's anxious to grab things. There's a husband somewhere pushing her out the door and saying, why don't you go do something useful for the family? And she may leave every day with tears in her eyes. I came across this story recently. I think I brought it. Yeah, this was a story. Uh, I don't know what uh, care... Some, some magazine, anyway, a guy writes in, and he says he's a new father of a beautiful 10-month-old girl. My wife's company has a generous maternity leave policy, and she's been at home with our daughter since the birth and is scheduled to go back to work just after her first birthday in January. She recently told me she doesn't want to go back to her job and would rather be a stay-at-home parent. I asked her why. And she said she enjoys being a mother too much to leave our daughter and to go back to work when she doesn't need to. This is such a departure from our plans before the baby was born. She has a good job. She's enjoyed uh, before going uh, on leave and, and has always been adamant she wanted to continue working even after becoming a mom. When we met, uh, we worked at the same company many years ago. And one of the things that I was most attracted to was her ambition and her tenacity. It's really surprising to hear that her career isn't that important to her anymore. Honestly, I don't want her to quit her job. She earns about what I do. And while we could make ends meet with the income alone, uh, my income alone, it would impact our ability to save and we need to, to give up one of our cars and cut way back on our extras. And also, I just don't want a stay-at-home wife. I really admired my wife for her work ethic. And I want her to set a good example for our daughter too. 
Seeing her give up like this is very disappointing. I gently asked her if she thought her change in attitude could be related to a possible mental health issue. She didn't take that well. I'm quoting. She says she only cares about our daughter and that's where all her energy needs to go right now. And if I love her, I will let her do this. I do love my wife. I'm not interested in divorce. But I'm seeing a whole new side of her that I just don't like or admire. What should I do? What should he do? Get a clue. Get an idea. Get an attitude change. Get some values. You know, we think about what we gain. We don't think about what we call what it costs. I think about those moms that, that leave crying every day and they just know somebody else is going to see that first step. Somebody else is going to hear those first words. Somebody else is going to just see them grow and teach them every day. What is that worth? How do you put a price on that? Fathers need to think about that. I think the working conditions are poor. There's some women that are glad to get out of the house. And I'll tell you why. Because they've never heard thank you in 30 years. How would you like to work at a job, a thankless job, where nobody ever seemed to notice what you did, much less praise it? That's awful. And there are men who are responsible for that, to value her, to understand how special she is. When, I, when Don and I got married, before we got married, I went to talk to the elders of the church where I grew up. They were both good men, godly men, good husbands, I thought. And I asked Brother Buchanan, I said, you tell me, tell me just something that you think, one thing that you think young husbands need to remember to make things work like they ought to work. He didn't miss a beat. I don't know, he could have said a lot of things. This is what he said. He said, many daughters have done virtuously but thou excellest them all. He said, don't ever let your wife forget how much you appreciate her. Boy, I wish I could stand here and say, I've done that. Man, I've had that. I've got that. But he was right. Whether I've done it or not, he was right. And a lot of times women, they, they, are, they don't feel that, and that's why I might as well leave. Why not? If I go down here and flip hamburgers or whatever I might do, you know, at least they, they might notice. They might even give me a raise once in a while. Help her. Help her. Don't feel like it's above you. You know, if there was something she could do to help you and your work, she'd do it in a minute and has. So help her. She gets behind, just notice what she's doing. Try not to mess up what she's done. Help her along. Those kind of things as husbands we can do. And reward her. Um, in whatever way, you know, I, I've, I've, through the years, I've, I've suggested that husbands ought to reward their wives. Uh, I, I used to say, uh, probably a new lawnmower is not what, you know, what she's looking for. And then I said that one time at a place and a guy came after service and he said, I gave my wife a new lawnmower. Okay. I said, uh, how, how'd that work? He said, oh, it works great. You just pull it. I mean, it cranks the, I said, no, that's not what I meant when I said that. Um, now it may not be even something you buy. It may not be something material, but just something to let her know that you notice, that you appreciate it. That she's, maybe when she's having the bad day might be the time when she needs that the most.
but don't let your wife languish on the vine and, and not even know that you care. That is awful. It's awful. Uh, one more thing. Lack of faith. I think that's what it comes down to in some cases. Just I don't have the faith I ought to have. Let me go back to 1 Peter 3 one more time. 1 Peter 3. That's where Peter had been talking about the influence of the wife on her unbelieving husband or unobedient husband. They'll see, verse 2, your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, uh, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And the point I would make is this. Uh, People sometimes today will say, what you're talking about is so out of style, I can't believe anybody would stand up and say it. It's ridiculous. Uh, there was a, one more thing I'll read to you. There was an a, a, a article in the AP in the, in the paper a few years ago from Little Rock, Arkansas, and the, and the article was entitled, Church Stops Daycare to Keep Moms at Home. Now, this is their words, not mine, by the way. A Baptist church board said it shut down its daycare center to get mothers to stay at home because working mothers, quote, neglect their children, damage their marriages, and set a bad example. You can imagine that flew like a lead balloon. Boy, that was not popular. And they quote one person who didn't like that a little bit, um, and she said, Quote, this is not happy days, and we're not living in the 1950s. Remember the old happy days show? That's what she said. She said, you living in, you living in another time. And I read that passage in 1 Peter for this reason. When Peter wanted to show what a godly woman looked like, he went back to Sarah. And Sarah lived as far removed from Peter's time as Peter does from our time. And what's the point? The point is that these principles, I don't believe, change. I believe they're timeless. I don't believe the Word of God is relevant, or relative, I should say, to any time. I think it's relevant to all time. And it's just a question whether I believe it or don't. Now, the world will think you're crazy, but the world's lost. And we're looking to God for answers, and I, I, I believe all of us want to answer, I want to respond to his word. So you've listened very patiently tonight and I appreciate very much your kind attention. Uh, if you're here this evening and it's your desire to become a Christian, I hope that you'll let your wishes be made known, that you might make the good confession and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. We are called to be the bride of Christ. He wants us to be his own. And he wants us to bear fruit in him. And if that be your desire to spend your life in that service, you will not be sorry. Maybe you're here as one who, uh, as a child of God, needs to make correction of some 
sin as a child of God, something that you need the prayers of the saints for. We'd be glad to help you with that. And if you'd let your wishes be known, we'll do that even now. As we stand and sing, will you please come?